Hello and welcome to the Beer Prime Podcast, episode 43, featuring Alex Troncoso from Bristol-based Lost and Grounded Brewers. Thank you for joining me again for another hour or so of chat with the great and good of the craft beer world. Today's guest is Alex Truncoso, who, along with partner Annie Clements, moved over to the UK from Australia to continue their brewing journey. After a period at Camden Town Brewery, Alex and Annie decided to strike out on their own and settled on Bristol as the location to start producing beers that they had loved drinking elsewhere, such as Keller Pils, Helles and various Belgian styles. Now, nearly six years later, they are widely considered to be producing some of the best beers, lagers in particular, available on the market. Alex and I chat about his brewing journey from Australia to the UK via Belgium, why they chose Bristol, the story of Keller Pils, and some very interesting facts about their can art, plus, of course, much more. But before we turn our attention to Alex, let's look at some of the latest goings on in the beer world. Starting with Drinkers for Ukraine. With the terrible invasion of Ukraine by Russia stretching into its third week, the beer world is stepping forward to raise money for the Red Cross relief effort in Ukraine. Drinkers for Ukraine, a collaboration of beer, wine, spirit and cider drinkers, as well as of course non-drinkers, has issued a recipe for Resist, a Ukrainian anti-imperial stout, which has so far been brewed by many breweries, including most recently the Ram Brewery, with the help of beer writer Melissa Cole. There are also imminent fundraising brews from Western Brewery, Verdant and Full Circle, amongst others. In addition to these brews, my Twitter timeline is awash with fundraising auctions as well as news of a live streamed auction and fundraising event by Drinkers for Ukraine, which happens on the 26th of March. In addition, New Barns have brewed a beer called Citra Pale Ale for Ukraine and Siren Craft Brew have rebrewed their Vava Brewery collaboration brew Mavka which will be available soon with funds from sales going to aid charities. Follow at Drinkers Ukraine and the hashtags hashtag Drinkers for Ukraine and hashtag Brew for Ukraine for all of these details, as well as at Brew for Ukraine, and that's the number four, Brew for Ukraine, who are also raising funds and promoting fundraising efforts. And don't forget to join that live streamed auction and fundraiser on the 26th of March. As it's coming into beer festival season, I decided that I would list a few of the beer festivals that are coming up in the next few months. Starting with Brew London at Printworks on the 6th and 7th of May, Riverside Beer Festival at Brew by Numbers site Morden Wharf, Greenwich, the 2nd to 4th of June. Also on the 2nd to 4th of June is Hop City Leeds at Northern Monk. There's Street Life Craft Beer and Food Festival at Alexandra Palace, London on the 3rd and 4th of June and Bristol has its Craft Beer Festival at Harborside 10th, 11th of June. The Nottingham Craft Beer Festival is at Snainton Market Avenues on the 17th and 18th of June and These Hills Beer Festival in Lewis, East Sussex, 24th to 25th of June. 
The Glasgow Beer Festival, which was previously held in Edinburgh, and of course known then as the Edinburgh Craft Beer Festival, is held at the venue SWG3 on the 8th and 9th of July. The Manchester Craft Beer Festival is at The Depot on the 22nd and 23rd of July, and the London Craft Beer Festival is at Tobacco Dock 12th and 13th of August. Plus, I'm sure that there are lots more that I've missed and many more to announce their dates soon. Okay, let's get on with today's guest. It's Alex Trongoso from Lost and Grounded Brewers. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi. All right. All right. Good. Excellent. Okay. Um, well, uh, let's get stuck straight into a beer, shall we? I'm going to start with Keller Pills. Yeah, excellent. Um, which uh, I think is a, a very apt beer to start, given its status. I think amongst uh, lager drinkers, uh, craft lager drinkers in the UK, uh, a lot of people are saying that this beer is one of the finest craft lagers out there. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, so. yeah it's, all, it's always nice to hear that kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's the feedback you want. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, right, so um, as we uh, delve into this, Alex, can you... Um, just give me a little bit of a um, a background on yourself and what you do at the brewery. Yeah, yep. So, um, yes, my name's Alex. Um, I'm co-founder of the brewery. Started the brewery back in uh, 20, 2015. We sort of started with the idea and then um, it was founded by my partner, Annie and I. So I um, pretty much look after more sort of like Brewing and, and finance and all these sorts of things. And then annual after um, with the branding, communications, and kind of uh, culture, that sort of business. And we've started with just two of us. And then when we started operations, there was seven of us. Pre COVID, there's about 12 of us. And now there's 30 something. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> the last kind of year in particular just sort of like went a bit crazy. So, wow, I mean that's that's good. Um, massive um, influx of people, so growth is is obviously happening. Yeah, yeah. And um, prior prior to this, so we we moved to the UK from um, from Australia. So in Australia, I was head of brewing at Little Creatures, so a company there made a lot mm-hmm. of my career. And then um, Annie was originally a social worker, so worked with people with acquired brain injuries, that type of thing. Um, and I guess I originally started as a chemical engineer, but I never wanted to be an engineer. So the irony is when I became a brewer, I became more of an engineer than I ever was. <laughs> so that's the irony of the whole thing. But because um, when I started with Little Creatures, we were in such growth that actually, um, you know, they were sort of like, well, you have an engineering background, don't you? So I said, yeah. So I, I eventually went um, from brewer to brewing team leader, then um, project manager, then production manager, then um, then I left for a little while, went to work in Belgium um, for... InBev, realized I didn't want to work for a big company, went back to Little Creatures as head brewer, and then um, had a brewing and ended up with a few sites. So over those years, we kind of grew from about 10,000 hectoliters a year to about 100,000 over, over eight years. So it was um, quite a lot of sustained growth over time. And then um, when that got bought, didn't want to work for a big company. So went to London as, as brewing and development director at Camden Town. Um, I mainly wanted to make lager actually at that point. I sort of, 
had enough, sort of, so to speak, of making pale ales. So I was really fascinated by making lager. Spent a few years at Camden, and then um, Annie and I were on the way to Cornwall one day um, for holidays, and we looked at the map, and a friend of mine in Melbourne used to live in Bristol, and he said, oh, it's really cool, check it out. And um, so we looked at the map, and we're like, yeah. It's a bit far to, to Cornwall, like, because you never know it's going to happen in traffic and that sort of thing. So we thought, oh, we'll stop in Bristol for the night. And um, yeah, we got here and it kind of sort of felt like freedom and reminded us a lot of Australia in a way. And, um, and we said, well, what if we got new visas and what if we found a place to live and what if we got the extra investment and what if we found a building to build a brewery in and what if, what if, what if, and actually we pulled it off. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, not for the faint hearted, especially on the other side of the world. Um, uh, very true very true um yeah. okay and and so uh you started brewing your first beers in july 2016 yeah that's right um, okay and so we um we when we set up the brewery it was really about um well first of all it was like we thought about how do we want the company to be like what what do we want this company to be like and so we kind of had this whole rationale for you know what, what have we liked in the past what haven't we liked um and so we end up with four words, humble, inclusive, clever, raw. So that's kind of how we like to try and frame things up. Um, and then we, we sort of said, okay, well, we're going to do it in Bristol. What are we going to do it in Bristol? And we thought about all the different benefits. Like you can live in the country, you can live in the city, you can, there's good universities, da, da, da. So there's all sorts of, um, lots of investment happening. So that, um, you know, sort of ticked that box. But, you know, up until that point, it could have been a zipper factory, a button factory, shoe factory, who cares, you know, it was actually about more about the, um, more about the kind of culture and the people. And then NBIT is like, well, okay, now we're going to make a brewery. And then what, what are we going to make? And then it was like actually about making Keller pills, really. So the last bit of the name was kind of like, well, there's Tasmania in the background. So Annie's from Tasmania. So there's Tasmania. Right. <laughs> I used to work at an iron ore mine about, about here. I used to work at an iron ore mine. Um, and um, so the last bit was us kind of living in Tassie, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth, Brussels, Perth, Melbourne, London, then Bristol. And then um, the ground a bit, someone sensible knows it's important. So for us to stop and make something um, that we kind of grow and sort of put some roots down for a while. And, um, and I think um, in that what's important bit, what's important if you want to make good lager, well, we need to have a mill. Because we and we use um, to this day a blend of like German and Belgian Pilsner malt, um, and, and it's like, well, if we can manage to get it, what really helps with making great lager is technology. Um, so you see, so it helps with consistency. Um, and but I think the print in principle is like people make beer. It's, automation just helps you make make it more consistent, make more of it. <laughs> but really, automation can't replace the palate. Yeah. You know, automation doesn't help the the yeast settle. No, um, absolutely. Other then we thought about um, you know what what else is interesting if you're making lager, um, and I always wanted to always was curious about using natural acidification, so lactic acid propagation for adjusting pH. So mm -hmm. uh, if you read the German textbooks, um, it's a traditional way for overcoming alkaline brewing water. And um, that's what we have here in Bristol. It's not quite as bad as London water, but, you know, it's quite similar. Um, so what we have in the brewery is a lactic acid plant. So living in that um, lactic, lactic acid plant is a, a strain of lactic acid bacteria from the husk of malt. It's come from vine stefan. And um, we basically keep it warm, keep it fed. It's like people. We keep it warm, keep it fed, <laughs> and it just keeps on doing 
Oh, so every week we do, we, we top it up with work and I keep it at about 48 degrees and it keeps on making natural lactic acid. And that's how we adjust the pH in our work kettle. Um, it's, it's all natural. And that goes across all the, all the beers that we make actually. And for us, it's like, why is that important? It's like, well, that's a bit of a philosophy thing because, you know, it's kind of easy to make beers. It's really hard to make a beer, like a really special beer. It's a bit of a philosophy thing. And also it gives another, um, gives another point, like focus for the, for the team on the floor because it's not just the yeast strains that we're managing. We're managing that as well as part of our DNA. And then, you know, that, like that culture now has this been the same culture going that we've fed every single week since December 2016. So... Wow. We, we just top it up. Everyone's had to go at killing it. So <laughs> I've nearly killed it. In the early days, someone killed killed the culture because um, the heating of it's manual. So we have all this automation, but the heating of that's manual for some reason. So there's a certain run across the brewery floor. You see when uh, typically when there's a newer member of the team and the, you see a certain run and it's the run of like, oh shit, I forgot the lactic acid plant's heating up. <laughs> so. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so it was Keller Pills was the, the first beer you brewed then, was it? Yeah, it was the Keller Pills' first beer we brewed. It's still um, it's still a bit over half of what we make is Keller Pills. Um, the, um, the branding of it, like we don't really say much on the can or anything, but actually um, that's our artist rendition of Lake Constance in, um, in sort of like the big lake between Germany and, and um, what's it, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, I think. And that's the yeah. whole tetanang in the background actually and um the inspiration beer came from i was at i was at the hop harvest in tetanang back in 2014 and i was at a brewery guest house and i don't speak german and they sort of came up and i knew they said oh what do you want to drink and i had to quickly look at the menu and i was like uh and i just like keller pills and i was like oh keller pills and um what came out was like you know pale like slightly hazy um kind of a bit resinous lemony fresh sort of beer and then we thought and when we start, started thinking about doing the brewery, we thought, well, what if we actually had a brewery and we really mainly focused on that? Like, um, and to this day, we still pretty much make it the same. I think the only thing that's changed is um, we've just gotten better at it. So I think that the boiling's gotten better, the mashing, the lowering, the um, maturation and fermentation, all those kind of things that we're continually working on. Um, but fundamentally, the, the malt's the same and the hops are the same. And, it's, um, and we just potter along, like trying to make this you know, completely delicious um, rendition of a like really old fashioned beer, you know? Yeah. So, um, and it's, it's really satisfying. It's, it's the beer that keeps us going. I mean, not only like sales and that, but actually in the, in the production team, it's really about like, um, it's about color pills and we'll go around and taste tanks because we have, we have um, quite a few fermentation tanks now and um, you can sort of taste the beer two weeks, three weeks, four weeks old, and you can sort of see how the how the lagering actually starts to zoom in, um, like the palate starts to kind of like zoom in and round out, and um, it's just really interesting because it's like the one ingredient you don't have on a couple of ingredients you don't have to label. It's like you know time and a bit of care and love and attention. <laughs> so those those ingredients aren't on a label, but um, those are the things you need. I think to make um, to make great lager, it helps to be doing it all the time is that yeast is a bit fussy. And, um, you know, for us, we're, we're now, um, we're now brewing currently about 16 times a week. So um, we do sort of four brews a day, Monday to Thursday. Um, we'll be doing two on a Friday soon. And then um, in any one, in any one week, we'll be doing like this week, we did 10 brews of Keller Pills out of the 16, you know, so. It's, yeah. Um, 
Wow. So heavily, heavily uh, focused on the Keller Pills. Um, and why not? I mean, you said about being a, being a delicious beer. It definitely is um, really, really delicious beer indeed. Um, but a lot of, I mean, the other beers that you brew uh, in those sort of six other brews a week, uh, a lot, predominantly a lot of other lagers and lager styles, uh, but also Belgian style beers. And yes, I know that, yes. that you have brewed other, other styles outside of those, but it certainly seems to be lagers and Belgian style beers that you, you're heavily focused yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that was sort of the original focus of the brewery. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's a little bit like we wanted to, <laughs> we sort of, the time people were like, you're not making pale We're like, no. And it was like, they're like, you're crazy. And it was like, no, we'll be right. But we're probably a little bit crazy, actually, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, um, but, you know, we do have a pale that we make now that actually, um, it's not branded in the core range because it was done originally special. But now we kind of, we, it's not a core beer we brew it every week of the year. So, put it, so just look at it that way. Yeah. Um, but I think the I think the thing with um, focusing on the lager is like it's it's a hard taskmaster, and so our kind of thinking is if, like do one thing good, and actually if you do one thing really good, then actually everything else should be good. So it's like everything else should be driven by the same attention to detail, um, and that's that's something that we're really really focused on. So it doesn't matter. If it's um, if it's the pale ale or if it's lager, if it's the triple, you know, like it's important that all those beers taste taste great in our own way. You know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you think lager is a more challenging style to brew? Yeah, I think um, when I was at Little Creatures, we got we, when we put our new um, Steinecker brew house in, in 2008, we commissioned it, and um, we have a Steinecker brew house as well at um, at Lost and Grounded, but. Um, um, we got sort of we sort of become obsessed with the with like making lager and actually like our pills that we made there and um, at the time really fundamentally the pills was only made for like little, a few trade accounts and pretty much was made for like people that didn't want to drink pale ale when they came to the brewery bar. Um, brewery bar there is quite busy. It was like twenty five thousand pints a week, so it's it sort of like not a normal sort of brewery bar. The serving tanks were like fifty hectoliters each. We had eight of those. We had six forty hectoliter ones and two fifty hectoliter ones. So. Um, you know, and, and what we found was like, it was just really, it's like really difficult there in Australia it seemed to be the biggest challenge for like sulfur. Things are always like sulfury here. Like sulfur hasn't been an issue for us. Um, we've kind of conquered diacetyl as well. So conquered the butterscotch demons, you know, uh, but I think, I think the biggest um, challenge for us continues to be like actually the brewing. So actually the brewing process itself. And you start to, as you start to see the nuance of how everything's working it's actually coming down a lot to like the work boiling and how clean or unclean the beer ends up being um that's if you have you know all else equal if your work boiling is not right then um actually you kind of tell in the end the beer is just not quite right so it's kind of and it's interesting because like the the malt's always changing and we use a like i said a blend of malts and sometimes we'll change the malt blend as well from like 75 percent dingamins from belgium to maybe 50 percent or whatever um but what we do find is um, it's probably every six months we need to like re-optimize everything because it actually just, you know, it's nature. So things starts to drift. So this is where the craft comes in, eh? So it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, sometimes people come in and like, oh, you just push a button. It's like, well, you, you did push a button. That's fantastic. But actually, in fact, like I said earlier, like, um, you know, that, that pushing that button doesn't help the yeast ferment. It doesn't help the, um, doesn't help the beer taste good. It doesn't help the balance to be right. The palate structure and everything, you know, it's just, all this doing is the same thing over and over again and doing it the same. At least it'll be, it'll be the same right or the same wrong, but at least it'll be the same. Sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's world record time that I've got through the first beer in a podcast. <laughs> it's just so drinkable. Absolutely. It just goes down incredibly, incredibly easy. Um, okay, so you mentioned there about your malts uh, that you use predominantly from Germany and Belgium. Uh, is that proving difficult, to, more difficult rather, to, uh, to source them now that uh, Brexit has happened? Yeah, well, it's, so the supply has been okay. The, the first, we were first a bit worried, um, especially because the German malt we get by a UK supplier, so by um, one, of the, one of the big maltsters. The Belgian malt we get direct from the maltings. Um, and so we were a bit worried, but actually, in fact, that's been, that's been fine. Um, in the end, it was like <laughs> leading up to the big, like, whatever the cutoff day was, it January 31st? I can't remember what day it was. Yeah, I think so. We were like, oh, we, we got all this, like, extra malt in and everything, and we were um, all worried. And then, um, and actually, it all kind of worked fine. That, that was all right. But, um, but however, I think the biggest issues we've been facing is, just like everyone, the cost of logistics has just gone up crazy. So that's gone up 20%. Um, the cost of the malt itself, UK crop as well, has gone up like 20%. Um, and now I'm hearing rumors about it going up again. And then also with the Ukraine situation, I think they're, I think I heard they're the fourth biggest barley producer in the world, I think. Or barley I, I think so. Yeah, I think I heard, um, well, I don't think I heard about barley and I'm sure that you are right. I, I heard a lot more about wheat, I think. Um, yeah, maybe it could be, it could be wheat, yeah. but it kind of just indicates, you know, if you grow a lot of wheat, you're going to grow a lot of barley as well. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, and of course, you've got all the um, uh, fuel and uh, sort of, you know, um, heating electricity prices going up. That can't help at all. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know, actually, not that. I was, um, we, we had a meeting a while, but I don't know, it was like, must have been late last year. And I was asked, oh, um, anything happened with CO2 yet? And I was like, oh, no, it seems okay. And it was just the other day, I was like going through some invoices and I thought, I thought, so, oh yeah, look at the CO two invoice. This is like quite a big one. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I kind of opened it up on the on the system and I looked and it's like, you know, CO two charge was like four hundred ninety or four hundred eighty something pounds per ton um, CO two. Um, energy surcharge four hundred ninety five pounds per ton. Wow. So virtually doubled in doubled in cost um, because of the you know the natural gas situation. We're quite lucky in the brewery that we had our electricity and gas locked in. I think until. Uh, maybe middle of next year or something. So that's quite fortunate because otherwise, um, yeah, we'd be we'd be feeling that too, um, which we will feel eventually. I don't think the energy situation is going to go away in the next kind of twelve months. It's going to be here probably still. Sadly, not. No, absolutely. Yeah. So so we're doing things like um, an upgrade this year. We're going to expand the site to the final capacity this year, which would be about um, about thirty thousand hectoliters or so, and then. Um, as part of that, we're putting in an, another brewing vessel, and we're also putting in a vapor condenser on the kettle to for energy recovery. So we'll recover all the energy during boiling. Um, okay. Make hot water. So from one boil, we'll make about um, eight hundred liters of eighty-five degree water. Um, so that will that will kind of help a little bit, at least you know, kind of future proof us. So, yeah. But, um, okay. Well, ho hopefully, hopefully so, because yeah, it's. It must be a um, a worrying situation with all these kind of mounting costs, because you know there's only so much you can. You know, you're 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 producing these these beers and you're pricing them at a certain point. Uh, your yeah. costs go up dramatically. You know that's got to impact the price that you're selling at. So yeah, and I think that's a challenge as well when you're making lagers. Like it is a numbers game because um, you know as you probably aware like lager lines in the pub is the highest volume line. So that's a line with a with a pub needs to make the the profit on it 
Um, so whilst we can kind of play with the price a little bit, we're, we're a little bit constrained by market forces as well. So it's sort of like, how high can you, it's this constant game. How high can you go and still have it the right price so the, so the customer can make the right margin, you know? So, um, yeah. And it, like beer is for everyone as well. I mean, ultimately, I mean, it needs to cost what it costs. So everyone kind of stays in business, but, um, you know, beer, beer is kind of for everyone. That's our philosophy. So mm. shouldn't be an exclusive thing. So, I, yeah, quite right. I, a, a great philosophy to have. Right. Okay. So I am, I'm going to go in for hop hand fallacy now. I am really looking forward to, uh, to this hop hand fallacy because I had it not that long ago, only I'd say four or five weeks ago as the farmhouse ale version. And now it's a whip beer. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as I'm really, really looking forward to, to drinking it and uh, tasting that difference. I'd love to hear the story from you about why that evolution, what, yep. what was the process? So yeah, if you could tell us about that, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it did start out as, um, I guess the original inspiration for the beer was kind of like, Oh, let's do kind of like a session strength kind of Saison sort of thing. We never called it a Saison because, um, even though we have a saison on range, but um, saison, I, I still think with a lot of drinkers, a little bit of a confronting kind of beer style. It's sort of like um, um, it's sometimes it can be, you know, if we go like we focus more on the like the clean, clean version of the of our Belgian beers. Um, I know you had you had Mark on. Um, was it last week or last last time or the time before? Mark Tranter from Burning Sky. Yeah, Mark was the last guest. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, so Mark's the master in, in the UK of the of the um, you know mixed mixed style. Um, so we focus clean style of, of Belgian beers. Now with um, with this started as more like a session strength kind of um, sort of saison, but then over time it was like I think it started like it always sort of just pottered along and did its thing and and sold and you know we find like a lot of kind of foodie people like it they like the sort of spice character and um, and all that, but I was sort of always in my, like over, over time, what happened is we kind of lightened it because um, we used gold naked oats originally in the beer. We, we swapped to flaked oats um, and then the beer sort of got paler. Then over time, we reduced the bitterness because we found that it tasted better. It was originally maybe about 20, 20 something BUs, but it's only about um, 12 BUs now. Um, so over time, we kind of reduced the bitterness. Over time, we'd also reduced the spicing because we found like actually um, too much of something can be a, not a good thing, you know? Um, and so the spicing, like, really, 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 really reduced. Like, we only use, um, I think in terms of orange peel, we only use 25% of what we used to use. Okay. And, and it was funny, every time we reduced it, the beer actually got better and better. And, um, and the final, final kind of step for us was, like, well, it kind of felt like um, um, it's so close to a whip beer now. Like, <laughs> you know, should it, actually, should it actually be a whip beer? And then... Um, and that's where we made the change this year. So, um, so we basically, um, we didn't just like chuck some weed in, you know, like you could just kind of do that. Um, but we, um, so we, we, we the, the first batch, so which date do you have? Do you have the 26th of the 10th or do you have a? Uh, yeah, 26th. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the very first batch. Um, and so we, that one's about 40% wheat. And that um, the next batch just came out. Um, we packed it last week. It's 50% wheat. Um, and what we found was there, like, it sort of just finally, like, everything, like, clicked together and to the point where, like, one, um, 
I think it was a few Fridays ago when I was up at the tap room on, on the Friday. Oh, sorry, Alex. Sorry, it's gone. It went again. Sorry. But you said about the other Friday. Sorry. It just sort of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the other Friday, um, it was satisfying to see all the brewing team at the tap room the other day, all, all basically drinking whipped beer. So I thought yeah. this is interesting because normally it'd be like, oh, I'll have a Hellas, I'll have a Keller Pills, I'll, you know, whatever. But we're all there. And I'm just like, um, like thinking about it. Um, I think the the thing that we we've done with this and and as you when you taste the triple as well um like we we do like to focus on our, our belgian styles being quite sessionable um so i mean this is this is quite an easy drinker like it's um it's 4.4 isn't it it's uh, it's very refreshing yeah so so 4.4 um, there's no kind of spiky edges on it we want it to be like really quite a, quite soft and, and sort of smooth um the bitterness is still quite low um but what we um, what we do with our Belgian beers is um, like this one's actually using using our, our house Belgian strain, which is now an Abbey Ale strain. So we um, so we, over the years we've had this is our fourth different Belgian strain. Every single one has a different about it. So yet the first one was uh, I think derived from Chimay strain, and it wouldn't settle. Um, that was the very first strain we used in the brewery. And we swapped to the strain derived um, from Le Chouf, so Sardin strain, which um, why yeast, the, the yeast supplier doesn't actually tell you it's diastatica strain, which will just keep on fermenting no matter what, Ooh. even after it's packed. And we <laughs> see it every now and then we see like, why is this beer? Like, you know, it's, you know, you're getting really lively in cakes and stuff. And mm. eventually sent it off for genetic testing and it was diastatica strain. So we're like, okay. then we went to, um, then we went to Bastogne, which is um, apparently the base strain for Orval, like not the Britannum Icy strain, but the other like primary fermentation strain. And then that tasted absolutely brilliant, but it was unpredictable how it would flocculate. So they were like, now we're, now we're, now we're on the fourth one. And the, the common theme with all of those, though, and this one especially, is they're not very phenolic. They're not phenolic at all, actually. Um, and I think with wheat beer in particular, it is, it is almost like the coriander gene. You know, you do have like the, you do have like the people that just go, that just cannot stand the phenolic character in, in, in wheat beer or, or you kind of quite like it. And um, myself, I don't mind the phenolic character, but I like it on the low side. So we've always selected the strains to be like um, either low or no, or not phenolic at all. Um, so this one, yeah, we, we collect the work really, really cool and just let it free rise to about 24 degrees and let it ferment out. Um, we've modified the mashing regime as well a little bit um, to deal with the, the higher proportion of oats and wheat. And then um, what we've done as well is at the end of fermentation, we, we only chill it to seven degrees before packing just to, because the challenge is trying to keep the beer hazy. So it's like, <laughs> which, yeah, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, I don't know, is yours is your nice and hazy? Or is uh, it, it is, yeah, yeah, right. Lovely and hazy. Um, well, I mean, fourth time lucky on the strain, so that's good on the yeah. strain. Uh, let's hope that this one holds out. You've evolved that. Now, it sounds like it was a very sort of uh, gradual evolution rather than a kind of like, yeah, one day, let's, let's brew it as a whipped beer. Um, is this going to happen on any other beer? Are you, any, any of your other beers sort of? No, we, we've sort of already, um, we've sort of already evolved, like No Rest of Dancers, which you, you have some of as well, like um, that started out 6.2%, um, very much um, fashioned after a Belgian style double. So 
Um, that beer has like a lot of specialty malt in it. Has a lot of um, Vienna malt. The grist was Belgian pale ale malt, but essentially Vienna malt. Um, a lot of special B as well. You know, it's really, really ruby colored. Um, we do use in that beer, but ten um, percent dextrose to sort of um, help get a little bit of the ABV, but not make the beer too chewy. Because I think that's an issue with a lot of red beers is once they age, they get very, very um, chewy and difficult to drink. Um, but with that beer, it's, it's sort of dry hopped. And, and the reason why, like it used to be 6.2, which even for, a, I guess, a, a double, in, you know, Belgian style double inspired beers is sort of on the low side. Um, so we'd already sort of like anglicized it a little bit. But um, but yeah, at last, beginning of last year, we changed it to 5.6 to make it more like pintable. So, yeah. um, and so it's a little bit of a conscious decision there, but actually what we found was, um, like this year in particular, we've actually had a big take up of that beer as well. So we found this over over the pandemic. Actually, like like we never had a we never had a um, online store until the pandemic because pretty much left with no choice. It's like, yeah, <laughs> sell no beer, no beer, do something. Um, and you know, we always kind of thought to ourselves, oh, who's gonna who wants to buy like you know twelve pack of saison or whatever? But you know, like believe it or not, like slowly but surely, we're just there like an astonishing. Yeah. Like a lot would, of people, <laughs> yeah, buy twelve packs of saison, twelve packs of triple. Like our Belgian mix box is really popular. Um, or kind of most popular item on the shop all up together is the, the mix pack, which and we only ever used to do twelve packs because um, we thought we'll just keep it simple. And then eventually we did sixes, and we've only just started doing single cans for the people that want to um, kind of just try a few extra things. But um, yeah, it's been really, really remarkable. Like since you know in the last two years the overall Bel- belgian styles have gone from like you know brewing like um you know apophenia we used to brew it like once a year <laughs> like it was like take that long now it's about every kind of eight to ten weeks um you know saison's probably about every six weeks that hot pan now is like every four weeks you know so it's like um everything's just sort of like snowballing which makes scheduling a little more difficult but um, yeah well yeah. supply supply and demand i guess you know the People are drinking these beers and loving them. They want them more more frequently. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your brewing philosophy. I mean, I know that you've said quite a few things so far that kind of that already touch on that. But what do you feel that Lost and Grounded stands for? Well, I think um, it's probably more, it's probably easier to start with like the company philosophy. I think a bit is like, um, I think fundamentally we're called Lost and Grounded Brewers because it's actually it's not lost ground a brewery or lost and grounded um you know, beer whatever it's lost and grounded brewers because actually it comes down to actually the people that make the difference so without the people without the crew it's just it's just a big shed with a bunch of steel in it you know and i was um explaining to someone the other day it's like if you given an unlimited amount of money like anyone can build a brewery like you could go out to your know, same brew house supplier as us go to germany buy a brewery hire a brewer hire some salespeople. um you know you can make some beer great you know, get a branding agency, whatever you want to do. And, um, but is that going to make it great? You know, I, I don't know. It's, Cause it's actually going to be for the people at the end of the day. Um, so that's, that's the sort of first thing. Then I think the, um, and like we, we do, like, if you look at like the hippo, so people some say, well, what's the deal with the hippo? Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so we're like, okay, well, here's the story. Um, we always wanted a globe in the, in the logo because, um, Kind of a bit more like we were sort of a bit fascinated with it um and annie had a vision like wanting to have it wanting to have the globe somehow incorporated into it um how we have it is like um 
like Tasmania is just visible there. <laughs> so, so, and then we have the England right there. And, um, <laughs> and so our illustrator kind of distorted it a little bit. And um, in the, in going back to the thing I said about sort of just being humble, we just want to do a good job, head down, that sort of thing. We kind of think, well, the hippo's not the rock star of the animal kingdom. It's like um, quite a deep, he's got a healthy temper if you, if you get on the wrong side of it. But um, you know, quite a deep. It's just, um, and so our kind of thinking is just, you know, keep your head down and do a good job. And, um, and it's really about, you know, how do, how do we all work together? How do we keep structure as flat as possible? How do we work together? That is, um, it's not about sales team, the brewing team, the whatever, it's just lost in granted, you know. Um, I think the other thing about philosophy is um, like we're not branded Bristol, for instance, um, just lost and grounded you know we're not a we're not a this brewery that brewery anything um i think the, the phrase annie kind of said was you know we are everyone so it's like um you know we 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 could be anywhere with this um it's just a matter of like this this you know we're a few years in now but it's actually a matter of how do we how do we keep telling our story to people and actually translating that because you, know, you kind of look at it, you kind of look, look at a nice picture and think, what's all that? But I just told you a whole heap of stuff <laughs> about that and about like constants, about the hot fields of tetanating and about all those kind of things. Um, then um, in terms of brewing philosophy, it's, um, I think we do, we do have very specific way we, we make beer. Like we do um, only use like those, those two malt types. Um, People would say, oh, you can make a good lager with English malt, which I'm sure you can, but um, I think it's like a philosophical, philosophical thing, you know, it's like, um, I think this, like the malting is just slightly different um, and the way we mash is different. I think, um, you know, you can make lager with a single temperature infusion, um, one temperature, but um, we don't, we, we mash everything in it, 52 degrees, you get 52, 62, 72, 78. Um, that sort of helps with keeping the yeast happy, but it also helps with the palate structure and a bit more control over it that way. Um, I think I think the lactic acid plant for sure is a very specific thing that um, we don't make any beer without that. Even when we did brew um, some beer in Belgium last year because we were out of capacity, we actually um, bought in um, sour wort for them to use um, to adjust the pH. So um, so it's kind of like you gotta you gotta make sure it's you gotta when you kind of set something a certain way, you got to sort of follow through with it and, and make and make it so, you know, it's, um, yeah. um, it's, I think it's too easy for, um, it's too easy for some people to say, oh, here's a lager and it says lager on the can, it's got some lager yeast in it, but lager is much more than that. It's like, um, it's like you're kind of, you know, when you go into that, like we, we, we collect the word eight degrees. We do get sort of more of a modern log, um, log regime. Like we collect the word eight degrees, which is quite cool. We ferment at 10. Um, we, we then mature at four degrees and zero. But what you find is actually in giving things the right amount of time is actually, it's like aging champagne on leaves. So actually what's happening when you're aging champagne on leaves is the, you get a tiny bit of autolysis happening. And if you get too much, it tastes like Vegemite. So that's not really good. But but if you um, you just get like these real technical term, you get a bee stick of autolysis. It's just like enough and just to kind of help snap the palate together. And what that does is give it a bit more fullness and roundness. And um, those are all the little things that we look for 
in, um, in you know, the beer is great. So if you kind of have that you're looking for, as well as, um, you know, how the lactic acid plant's behaving, as well as how the boil's going, as well as the malt blend, as well as the mashing is going and, the, and, um, and all that, it's kind of like, uh, I guess the philosophy overall in terms of brewing is actually attention to detail. Yeah. Any one of those things can be out. So it's a matter, it's the job of the brewer to work out how the hell, to, how the hell to like in all the madness when you're all busy and, and you know, everyone's running in different directions, how the hell at the end of the day, do you still keep everything tasting good? You know? Yeah. And, uh, okay. There's a certain skill in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, because I guess that there's, you know, I, I know, and I've, I've heard stories from brewers in the past about how something has, something's happened, something's gone the wrong way. And there are ways of, bringing it back there are ways of maybe making something else that you hadn't intended from it but yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you're not paying attention to the detail i guess and you know you're brewing particularly if it's keller pills with you know the, the the volume that you brew of it if anything goes wrong once it's yeah, yeah. gone past that point of no return that's too late by then yeah yeah, yeah. no you're, you're stuck yeah um, um and i mean you know obviously the the Keller Pills, as you said, is, uh, accounts for, for a, a vast major, uh, majority sorry, of what you brew. Um, and you brew a lot of um, Hellas, I take it as well. I mean, I see, yeah, yeah, I, see, I, I see a lot of it around. Um, now, I know a lot of craft breweries, uh, craft um, uh, bars, sorry. Um, and in fact, actually, some tap rooms of, uh, of other breweries who don't make lager. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, filled in, filled obviously the need to have a lager on you mentioned about how you know lager a lager tap is uh, is a biggest seller do you think um that your beers and you know and and the, the similar ones of um, other lager breweries other lager craft breweries are key to turning macro lager drinkers over to craft now that they can taste these kind of beers and, and see what they're missing see you know what they've been having all these years can be so 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 much better yeah like that's a good point i don't think about that too often but actually um it's actually when you when you think about like someone because especially with the keller pills especially like more so with hellas because keller pills even though we're used to it um you know we kind of forget that it is like 30 ibus and all the rest of it we kind of talk sometimes at the brewery like we do we do know that some people, for some people, it's just too much, you know, it's just like they're just not used to drinking beer that's like, you know, quite, you know, relatively bitter in the scheme of things, you know, the lager world. Um, and so like with the Hellas, especially like it's only 18 BU, it's um, really, really balanced, um, you know, it's just a little bit hazy. And I think it probably is like a it's, a, it's a more gentle move for someone to kind of move into that. And actually once that sort of doors open, then it's like, you know, you're not so intimidated anymore. I think that's um, that's one thing. Even with like the more seasoned drinkers, like with our saison, for instance, it's like um, we had uh, we had one account um, last week. Um, told one of our reps, can't remember what account it was. I think it was one in London. They're like, "Wow, saison's flying!" And we're like, "What?" <laughs> like, I mean, we just had... <laughs> and actually, it was funny. I, I I just had a text from it. We have a friend that used to live in Bristol. He's Hungarian, and and he's got a. a a beer company in Hungary now in a craft beer bar in Budapest and um, he's just sent me a thing and um or and he bought some saison from a from a European importer uh, of ours and he's like he's like look saison de Avon is the number one beer in my bar right now <laughs> <laughs> wow 
<laughs> but but you know with that it's like um and when you try the triple set it's like well we've made something that's um it's actually you know you can, you can if you like good beer you can just enjoy it you know it's um i was kind of wondering when i saw that when i saw the stella uh, when i saw um i think i think on twitter i saw chris hall put keller keller artois on there <laughs> <laughs> hazy stella and i sort of thought what are they doing but then at the same time actually you know, will that help us all sell more beer? But, you know, I'm not sure it might do, you know? Maybe. Well, it, it just goes to show that they're recognising the the need for that and the um, yeah, yeah. and and the the desire amongst drinkers to, to drink something like that. Um, it can only be a, a good thing overall, I think, in, in, in yeah, terms yeah. Of, the, of the whole industry. Um, yeah. Right, now, you, you just mentioned about when I drink the triple. So, you know, you've put the thought in my head now. I'm, I'm going to have to dive into the triple. Yeah. <laughs> so uh apophenia uh and it's 8.8 yep. percent. so we're ramping yep. up uh after having what was it uh the keller pills at 4.8 the hop hand at 4.4 now ramping up to 8.8 yeah, um, like double hop hand uh, yeah <laughs> and i i absolutely love belgian belgian triples belgian doubles i mean um right rochefort uh you know west mile the all the yeah, I mean, Ro- Rochefort. The Trappist beers are the, um, definitely my favourites. Yeah, Ro- Rochefort, it was one of my epiphany beers, actually. Yeah? That's probably one of the beers that actually opened my eyes to what beer could be. Um, okay. It's when I, when I worked at InBev and I was, we lived in um, Brussels and I kind of somewhere and they don't, they only had it. And they, uh, I said, I'll have a Rochefort. And they said, oh, it's, um, once again, <laughs> I don't really speak French, but they, they said, basically, we only have a cellar temperature. So I was like, oh, sub up, okay. They brought it and um, yeah, it's probably about 12 degrees or something. It was actually absolutely perfect. I just thought, how can a beer be so strong? It's full of malt, but it's actually full of like noble hops and everything. It was just actually like a masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. no, it is indeed. Uh, so yeah, very much looking forward to the Apophenia. So tell me a little bit about this beer and um, I mean, how long have you been brewing this one? As we've been brewing that from the start as well. Um, okay. That's another satisfying thing is like actually we're we're a year like we're at five and a half years old now or whatever and um and it's like the whole core range is still with us you know we haven't like lost anything like once again some people could say we're like crazy or idiotic but <laughs> why do you want to brew something that sells as slow as a triple but you know why we want to brew it because actually we like it you know it's like actually um it's actually we're, we're being true to ourselves you know it's um something that's really important to us is actually you need to be genuine. You know, and I think if we, um, you know, I think if we turn around and suddenly you lost our ground and it's making, um, you know, trying to make New England IPAs and things, it's like, it's not very genuine, um, you know, to us. So, um, so it's sort of like, um, yeah. And I think as well, it's like a challenge. Like I like the, I like the triple because it's, it's a challenge. And, um, you know, that um, beer there, you know, it's 8.8. It's got a little bit of orange peel and coriander, not too much. Um, but it's just so like orangey and smooth, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> just the, yeah, the aroma is just, just pure heaven. Absolutely gorgeous. And then the first sip, absolutely lovely. Really, really. I, I, this is, I've had your, as I say, I've had the kind of, well, the farmhouse version of Hot Pan Fallacy. But as you're saying, if I had it only about five or six weeks ago, it's probably as close to the, the Whitbeer version as, as I had anyway. Yeah. Um, and I've had Keller Pills, I've had um, uh, Hellas running with Scepters, running with Spectres, 
I've yeah. had all of those. Apophenia is one that I've never had. I don't know why, because as I say, I do like the style. Um, but I'm absolutely loving it. Right? Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's, um, and I think they, the, like when we did the brewery, um, like the kind of idea was, even though you could say like, okay, well, Keller Pills and Hellas are obviously very much um, Germanic styles of beer. Um, but when it came to the Belgian beers, it was a bit like, I was speaking to a, a Belgian brewer friend of mine and um, you know, one, one thing was like, how I said I don't really like overly phenolic um, beer when it gets kind of too sort of spicy and over the top um, from like the yeast kind of character. And I said to I said to him, I was like, what's the deal with all these Belgian beers fermenting really, really high temperatures? And he said, he said to me, honestly, Alex, don't worry about what they do. They only do that because they used to have really bad breweries. <laughs> so it's like, so I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's a good point. I was like, thanks, Bert. So that's a good that's a good point. So um, so we from that point in time, it was like, well, actually, in fact, with all of our Belgian styles, we're gonna make it like our way. So how do we how do we want it to be? Um, so we have like Apophenia. I mean, the, the big difference between um, probably probably Apophenia, maybe some um, I guess more classic Belgian triples is like the carbonation levels lower. So number one is you can't get the carbonation that high in a can. Um, otherwise, you, <laughs> otherwise you're going to have some trouble. Um, but number two, I think with the with the um, with the lactic acid plant, I don't know if you've kind of noticed with, between Keller Pills and the hot pan with that, especially notice if you add a few more beers to it. There's certainly like a house character to our beers. Mm the kind of palette comes across and um and you know with so what we did with the, the the sort of some of our styles um is like let's pick the bits that are really good um so with the with the nurse or dancers it's like well why do um you know why would it be good to use some sugar in this beer um well the use of sugar so you can reduce the malt loads so you can reduce that kind of like um cloying sort of character you get in red beers um, why do we use some sugar in Apophenia so we can reduce the palate weight a little bit? Um, because if you had it all malt, it's going to be really, really heavy. Um, so, you know, so it's like, um, and even in uh, our Saison, which is, um, you know, if you're going to compare it to anything, it would be, um, it's much more on the like Saison DuPont kind of end of things, but definitely not as carbonated or dry. Um, so it's, our Saison is definitely more like fruity and full. Um, but with the spicing in that, we, well, with the hops in that, we use Brewer's Gold, um, uh, Savinsky Goldings and Chinook, but we use, use a little bit of Grains of Paradise as the hop, or not the hop, the spice. Yeah. And um, so it's kind of like just, just picking a few things and thinking like, well, how can we make this, how can we make this our own? Because it's not about trying to make Saison DuPont, because I'm pretty bloody sure Saison DuPont is better at making that than we are. <laughs> it's, not bad. it's not about making, uh, you know, it's not about, with Hellas, it's not about making Augustina, because I'm pretty bloody sure they're better at making Hellas. Than, it, you know, I'm sure, pretty sure they're pretty good at making their own Hellas, and they can do it at a much larger volume than we can. So it's about, um, you know, realizing that and, and thinking, like, how, how can our beer be special? And uh, when I did a, a talk um, a few years back at the Brewer's, Congress. Um, I did a talk on economics of brewing, and John Keeling was on the panel. He did a he did a talk on more like brewing philosophy and stuff. And um, his kind of point was, which I kind of use, so I'm going to use it now. It's like you know, beer, a good, really good beer should have a personality. Like it should be like you're sitting down with your. The way you put it was you kind of meeting your old friend and like, oh, have you had a haircut? You know, you um, have you lost weight? Have you put on weight? You know, and it's actually that's how the beer can change. And and I think it's not about. Um, it's not about beer being exactly the same every time. I mean, consistency is great, but actually, in fact, it's more about making it better, you know? And it's um, because uh, I was given a tour the other day and I said to people like, 
yeast, just like lactic acid bacteria, yeast is like us. It doesn't like to work all the time. <laughs> you got to give it the right conditions for it to work optimally. And um, every now and then it does it. And, you know, we do see batches come through. Maybe they get a bit more DMSE from the boil or it's a bit more yeasty because X, Y, Z or, you know, whatever's happened. It's like, it's part of the personality of it, you know, and it's, I think the, um, you know, the thing with brewers is you're quite technically minded and you kind of want to make everything perfect um, all the time. We had a saying at Little Creatures, like, um, if you guys aren't careful, you're going to make fosters. And it's like, well, what, what does that mean? That means actually you're going to disappear so far up your own ass that actually, in fact, you're going to scrub the life out of the thing that was actually really beautiful. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, don't be afraid to have some like, you know, a few edges on it, but um, don't, don't be afraid to make something edgy. Just don't put it over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. No, that would, that would be a sad way to go. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and now I mentioned a couple of beers um, earlier there, just when I was sort of going through some of the beers I've had of yours and the, the duo there of running with scepters and running with specters. Yeah. Um, very clever wordplay. I love that. Just two swapping two letters around. Um, and of course, I, I love, you know, we'll, we'll come on to the can art and everything in the mo, but I love how the can art is kind of just literally the same at night with, with skeletons instead of the, yeah, you know, yeah, sort of, even a little hippo, even a little, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hippo as a skeleton was a beautiful touch. I love that. It's great. Um, so apart from the, you know, the wordplay and, and the, and the similarity in the can art, do those two beers have anything in common with each other? Uh, well, they're just, they're just both lagers. So, you know, um, so Baltic Porter is lager style. And that was, um, um, I guess, running with scepters, it's actually one beer. If you talk about evolution, it's like that went on a massive evolution over the years. When it first, um, we first made it, that was going to kind of going to be our answer to, okay, not having an IPA or whatever. Uh, it used to be called special lager beer. And I still kind of want to call it that, but um, everyone was like, what the hell does that mean? So, <laughs> so, we're like, so we started to change the description. But um, but that that beer used to be about um, thirty BC, so quite kind of amber, like very like deep Yanagawa kind of territory. Um, a heap of caramel. Um, the hopping was about the same. We're just we're just kind of better at it now. Um, but the hopping was always kind of Chinook and Mosaic. We have a bit of citra in there now, but um, um, and so but now like over what what happened is over the years we were like we um, reduced the caramel a bit, the beer got a bit better, and we reduced it a bit more, got a bit better, reduced a bit more, got a bit better, and actually reduced and reduced and reduced it. And we're now, which has been the way for about the last, um, maybe the last two years now, um, was it's only about 14 EBC. It's still about 30% Vienna malt in it. It's just a little bit of um, light caramel. And then um, the hopping is still primarily Chinook and Mosé with a little bit of um, Citra. It's not like a massive dry hop load, but it's, um, so I guess it's got the inspiration for the base beer is really about Vienna lager. Um, but the inspiration for the hopping is really about, um, you know, IPA, if we're gonna, gonna be fair. You know, with, um, with running receptors as well, like if you talk about philosophy, um, what the hell does that mean, running receptors? Well, um, the point of that beer was, the point of that artwork in that beer is that, um, if you look at like traditional photos, say of Queen Victoria or whatever, it's about you know royalty with there on the throne with a scepter. So our kind of thinking is, is um, well, actually everyone's special, you know, and so everyone has a scepter. So actually, in fact, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you might be a really good cook, you could be a good mathematician, you could be a good um, race car driver. You know, everyone's special, but the important bit is everyone's invited to the party. 
that's why on that thing there's you know there's a there's a swan there's a pelican there's a penguin there's a polar bear there's a tiger you know there's a the tortoise is up the front you know leading the pack up the hill um but that's the real thing is like actually that's what we're about is, you know everyone is allowed to be different but you're all invited to the party excellent yeah, yeah. all inclusive yeah fantastic and then when, when we did inspectors um that was we did that um we kind of planned that and uh, we did that the first year just in draft and then over the years we've kind of been refining it and actually the last two years i think it's, it's more or less been the same but it's kind of like exciting in time when it comes to specter time because we sort of like we get it through and it's about how can you make a beer like um and i think lagers work really really well for dark beers because the, the base of the the beer is really clean so you, it's a it's a good way to let the um the malt really shine so um with that with that beer it's it's um yeah, it's a lot of um, the, the main kind of key special malt that one's probably like biscuit malt actually so it's um, biscuit malt it's um, dark crystal it's you know a bit of like um, we use a we use a Belgian debittered roast malt for that one as well so it's a bit like the carafe special from Wyoming but Belgian version and um, yeah, it's just it's just so satisfying to kind of make it a black lager and just have that um, just everything so smooth and just everything like in its place you know like we did a Schwartz beer two years in a row called Amplify Your Sound. We still have some, I think we still have some a little bit of this year's batch. And once again, it's just so like, just the base of it was just like a nice little foundation to just build flavor on. You know, it's um, yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I I mean, my, I guess sort of saying now my favorite beer style is uh, stout. Yeah. And it's, as as time goes on, that's more of a, a gray area because I always drank a lot of other beer styles as well, but stout was far and away my favorite style. Now I would say, I guess it's my favorite style, but the others are catching up so, so much. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, I think I've had, I, I guess like a lot of people as well, um, certainly Renaissance with lager because I, I, I stopped drinking lager um, because I guess of the, you know, the same old macros that, that were around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and when I started having lagers like, you know, um, you know, the, the kind of pale lagers like yours and like Utopians and, and, you know, so, so many other breweries that are making great lagers as well. It started, it reminded me just how good a style it can be. Um, and yeah. so having Baltic porters, you know, dark lagers, um, you know, Utopians, Cherny Specialny, those kind of those kind of beers and yeah, the ones you know, as you as you say running with specters as well. Um, those kind of beers are kind of for me a um, an amalgam of 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 two styles that I'm you know I, I still love stout but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm now loving lager so having something that is a kind of mashup of both of those styles is just awesome for me. So yeah yeah yeah. I, I'm absolutely love, loving that at the moment. And I think some of my favorite beers over the last couple of years have been dark lagers. And I think as well, like, um, like, like malt is definitely like the unsung hero of the beer world. It's like, um, you know, you kind of, you know, lots of people forget beers like, you know, however many percent malt, like it's, um, you know, and I think, um, you know, like, like I always, I always kind of thought one of the best, um, one of the best beers, made in London, I always thought was um, Buller's London Porter. It's like, it's absolutely delicious, you know? And I think that, um, I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I think there's I think there's quite a few from 
and it's sort of brown malt in that. And um, just shows like how, how sort of satisfying like a multi beer can be, you know, I think, um, I think that, I think we're still find challenging like around like sort of Dunkles and, and that sort of style, which is a bit more about, a bit more about toasty and a bit of, a bit of caramel. And I think that's a, that's a whole nother challenge trying to get that right. Um, I don't think it's, it's not quite so easy. I don't think to get that kind of balance, right. Mm. Where um, kind of malt grist tends to, tends to work a bit easier with the ales, you know, um, whereas with the dark, with the dark lagers, like I said, the proper like black lagers, like Schwarz beer or, or Baltic Porter, I think that's um, the lager base works really, really easily. I think it's um, it's the it's the next frontier now. Dunkel, yeah, yeah I'm sure it's going to be the next big thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I'm, I am seeing a lot more of them, so I, I wouldn't be surprised actually if that really does pick up, uh, which which I'm all for. Just, <laughs> just I just want to put my flag in the ground right now and say, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Uh, I wanted to have a chat with you about your tap room. So if yeah. anybody listening is heading down to Bristol, um, I mean, there's a great beer scene in Bristol. Uh, you know, I could, I could list so many. There's yourself, there's, you know, more Bristol beer factory, new Bristol, left-handed giant, rapper and true wild beer. Oh, so many, so many. I, yeah, I could yeah, go yeah. on. I could go on. Um, so if they're heading down to to drink at you know all of those um, those bases and they come down to your tap room, what can they expect a- aside from of course all those awesome beers on tap? What do you yeah, offer? Yeah, so, yeah. So we um, so we well when you come up to the building now, we have a we have a ginormous mural of Keller Pills in the front of the building now. Um, okay. Wow. Building because our building is quite big, like it's twelve meters high. Um, so, so I think the guys that did the mural was like, "This is the uh, biggest mural that we've ever done." <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, and so that, but when you actually come into the door, you know, we have the tap room right there, and actually the brew house and everything's right there. Like you're actually literally like just in the brewery. Uh, we have ten beers on draft. Um, like a lot of people, they'll be they'll be rotating kind of food offer there, depending on um, what sort of street food vendor we can we can get at the time. Um, we also have brewery tours on every Saturday. Um, you can book those on our um, on our website, so on our store website, lostergradestore.co.uk. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of it's nice. Just I think the, the good thing we we find is like we have a really even though we're a little bit like we're not in central Bristol, like we're not far from town. It's like a ten minute in a taxi sort of thing. Um, but we get a really nice diverse crowd, which is really um, it's kind of what we aspire to kind of champion and, and so I think it's it's great seeing on a Friday um I should say as well we're open every Friday from four to ten and then Saturdays depends on season right now it's four till nine but as the um like next Saturday we're open at one o'clock so we have a big we have a, we're having a uh, dog day afternoon event so you bring yeah I saw, I saw about in. that that Your sounds might have, yeah might have <laughs> can <laughs> sounds awesome Yes, that's gonna be, it's gonna be fun, and um, um, and so yeah, so you can come along. But um, one thing that's nice, especially like Fridays, or like typically like the place is full, and see like people, young families, people there with dogs, just groups of young friends. You get um, you know cyclists, you get sort of rock and rollers, you get kind of everyone kind of there, just hanging out and having a beer. So it's um, it's it's kind of nice. It sort of shows you that um. It makes it feel like something's going right when actually it's not just a monoculture, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we're attracting all sorts. And, you know, it's 
it's certainly the when it comes to the food offering um, at tap rooms, it's certainly the norm now um, for people to sort of have as you as you do have rotating food vans, um, which is ideal really because you don't want to be having your own kitchen and sorting out your own food and everything like that. It's great to give business to you know these these local um, mm. food trucks, and it's good as well to have a diverse range of different types of food coming in um, week on week. So um, it's, it's brilliant. And I think that that kind of union between craft brewery, craft brewery tap rooms and, uh, and, and, you know, food trucks is, is a great union really. Yeah. 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 No, it's, and you, and you're right. It's like um, people sort of say to us sometimes, Oh, do you want to buy, you know, ever buy pubs or anything? It's like, it's like, oh, man, it's hard enough running a bloody brewery. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make your life really hard and start 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 doing all that as well. Yeah. yeah. So so we're kind of you know we're we're kind of we're, we're happy we're a brewery you know we're we're a brewery that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. Stick to what you do best. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So I mean, we touched on the can art um, a few times actually over the course of the the chat. So let's get on to that. Um, who does your can art? So. Um, so basically, we've never used an agency or anything. So the um, so Annie, my co-founder, um, Annie's kind of like the champion of the brand, really, and sort of has that kind of overall vision. Um, when we went to um, when we came to Bristol, actually, we thought, okay, we're going to do this. We don't want to use an agency because um, we might end up with something that just looks like every everything else that's out there. So um, so we went on a website called Drawn in Bristol, and we just it's just full of all these independent illustrators. And um, we found one named Alexia Tucker that she used to live in Bristol. She lives up in Hawaii now. Um, but she did all the illustrations. So basically she would sit down with kind of Annie in, in the early days and just think about, well, how do we want it to, to be? Like we kind of wanted, wanted things to feel friendly and curious. And um, and I'm not, you, you, may, you may know, you may not know, but actually if you take, um, if you take all those cans in a certain orientation, it all forms one big picture. So if you actually does it um, really? Yes. Oh wow! No, I I did not know that. I'm I'm intrigued now. I'm intrigued. I've got to find out the order. <laughs> Obviously, everyone has the hippo in it. Even I don't know if you noticed, but Napafenia, that's that's actually the that's actually the hippo on its side with the wings. It's just oh, wow. it's, um, yeah. <laughs> I, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's brilliant because. Obviously, you know, now that you're saying now, now that you're showing me that um, that uh, kind of whole mural, I guess, I don't know what word you would call it, I guess, but um, of 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 all of the the art, um, it makes sense. But I was going to say it's wonderful how it's all landscape based, um, yeah. which is fantastic, particularly as you know, you mentioned about the color pills that on that landscape is the 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 the, the, the rows of uh, Tetanang um hops yeah. and everything and so it's all um tied together in terms of that uh that landscape aspect but the fact that it's actually one continuous landscape uh, it's totally new to me it's just blown my mind <laughs> the, other, the other thing Brilliant. is somewhere somewhere in one of those cans is a mortar and pestle <laughs> so <laughs> really so that's, the, that's the other thing you can uh, you can try and find after after the coal is um, somewhere hidden in there is a, a mortar and pestle. And that came from, um, we were having one of the early meetings and I came up with a ri ridiculous idea just to have a mortar and pestle in one of the beers. I think it was actually on, I think it was actually on op-ed. And um, 
Annie, Annie and, and Lex were like, he's need to leave these meetings now, I think. And, um, <laughs> and when we had the opening party at the brewery, we had um, like one meter banners of all the different labels up on the wall. And then um, Annie and I didn't actually know about it. And then um, Lex, Lex was at the opening party and said to us, oh, there's a mortar and pestle on one of these. And so we got having a big laugh and said, no, there actually is. And um, yeah, so you can have a look at the cans and try and find it. <laughs> so. uh, that's what I will be doing right after this. <laughs> Searching for that mortar and pestle. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they are they are incredible. Um, can, I'm, you know, I've, I'm so lucky in speaking to so many people about their awesome beers, but it's fantastic as well, the branding, because, you know, as we mentioned, uh, Burning Sky was the, the last um the last guest and and their labels are also very evocative yeah, yeah, yeah. and very very um uh, you know they're, they're the amazing art um from uh, from mark's uh, friend yeah, uh, si yeah. simon who does those yeah. and and it's brilliant um you know it could be and would be so easy just to go for something straightforward um but so much thought has been put into to all these labels um yeah, yeah. I was going to say just and because somebody asked me the other day, oh, how come you, on the other beers, like say our limited releases or whatever, how come they um, don't have illustration? But that's a, that's actually a practical constraint. Is like to to do yeah. to do that is actually like um, about seven days of illustration and graphic design. So it's a bit hard. It's a bit hard to do that if you know if on a on a one off beer that's just coming in and out of the yeah. time. <laughs> totally so, understandable. Totally understandable. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean they're they're fantastic, and um, uh, I, I really really enjoy. It. So it's one of those things that you know you pour the beer out and you enjoy the beer, and it just seems such a shame to just crush that can and and stick it in the recycling. Yeah, um, yeah. you know to to go do something with that uh, with that art so it lives on. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Uh, so one of the features I have on the podcast is I ask. Uh, my guest to pose a question to the next guest. So that means I'm going to be asking you to pose one in a moment. But first of all, you've got a question from Mark Tranter to answer. What band would you like to see in what pub drinking what and what beer would you be drinking whilst you were watching them? Well. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a question. That's a three-pronged question, isn't it? Thanks, Mark. <laughs> still, still waters run deep, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, what, what band? Yeah, I might like to see the Misfits. And because I really like... Um, when it, like, one of my favourite songs is Where Eagles Dare from the Misfits. So, that's... Um, that's really, really good. Now, where where would I see them? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 a difficult one. I would skip to what what would I want to be drinking? Um, actually, you know, in that scenario, I think I'd actually well, I'd actually just want to be drinking whatever's whatever beers on whatever beers. Actually, when I think back to in the like when I was younger in Australia, like when you went to sort of gigs and. A lot of good rock and roll pubs in, in Melbourne, and um, one of them in particular um, always used to like in the band room. Always just used to be cans of you know BB or Melbourne Bitter or something. And actually, I'd probably um, actually yeah, I'd probably see them like in the in the Tote, which is in Collingwood, a venue in Melbourne, and just drinking like a can of Melbourne Bitter, <laughs> something like that. So. Okay, excellent. Uh, so, can you pose a question for my next guest? 
Well, it could, it could, it, it could be a really fundamental, simple one. Like, what's more important, malt or hops? Oh, that's a good question. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, Alex, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, and, and also, thanks for the beers and the care package. Um, that's some excellent beers that I'm really enjoying, and wonderful glass as well. I'm really loving the glass. Yeah. Um, out of all the glasses I've got, I've not got one that's this uh, this style. So, um, really loving that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thanks no again. Thanks again for to, for taking the time. Um, I, I must get to Bristol at some point this year. I must do that. So um, I'll pop down um, and visit you. And yeah, just a, let, let us know when you're down and we give you a whip around the brewery. Check it yeah. out. No, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. No worries. Cheers. Cheers Hope you enjoyed that. And thanks again to Alex for his time. And of course, for lots of awesome beers that I'm still working my way through. Head over to their website, which is lostandgrounded.co.uk to order their beer, or I'm sure you'll find them in plenty of local craft bars and bottle shops. Uh, follow them also on Twitter. They are at Lost and Grounded. And on Instagram, they are at Lost and Grounded Brewers. I've actually recorded the main part of the next episode already. Uh, yesterday, for those of you who are listening on the day of release, I went down to the Bermondsey Beer Mile to the Outpost, home to Three Hills Brewing. And along with Damien Doherty of Emperor's Brewery, we started off the mammoth and epic brew of a big imperial stout, which will be out at the end of April. I also sat down to chat with Damien and Three Hills owner Andy and talked about their breweries as well as collaboration brews. So that one will be available on the 30th of March, followed by Pressure Drop and then Bundabust Brewery in Manchester, the brewery responsible for one of my favourite beers of the year so far, Dark Mild. That's the beer name, of course, not the whole style. They're not responsible for the entire style. Uh, but they've brewed one with Thornbridge, and it's just awesome. So that's all for this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast and rate and comment if you can. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Beer Prime UK on both of those. Thanks for listening.